0: Welcome to the Liberty Baptist Sermon Archives. The message you're about to hear was preached at Liberty Baptist Church in Easton, Massachusetts. You can find out more about us or contact us at mylibertybaptist.org or just look us up on Facebook. And now we hope that this message from God's word will be a blessing to you. good evening again, good to be with you. I wanna invite you to Matthew, the 14th chapter, Matthew chapter 14. I'm thankful for the message from, I believe it was Matthew 6 this morning, and I I needed that message when Pastor mentioned that it was a message about prayer. I know that in my life I've been sensitive to my need to increase and improve my prayer life, and so I was definitely uh, thankful for the message this morning. Um, We're happy to be with you. And um, our daughters are a little under the weather, so uh, my wife is back in the nursery with them for this service, uh, just to to help with that. And so if you would pray for them, that would be great. And it is good to have my dad and mom here this evening. They don't often, they, they never get to hear me preach in person, and so this is a, a treat for them. But uh, they're uh, faithful members of the Heritage Baptist Church in Norwood, and they said this church is just about three miles longer of a distance. They travel all the way from Johnston, about a 40, 45-minute drive, every service. And so I'm thankful for uh, their faithfulness. That's probably one of the biggest things I am thankful for. Regarding my parents is their years of faithfulness. The word faithfulness would describe them, and it has taught me well. And so grateful to have them here. So we're in Matthew chapter fourteen, and uh, this evening we're going to be considering a very familiar passage of scripture, an account probably most of us in the uh, most of us in Christianity have 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 heard taught in Sunday school, we've heard it preached. Maybe you've even had opportunity to share this story in the Bible with children or others in Matthew chapter 14. And so but I want to encourage us to consider this account with fresh eyes, with, with fresh ears, with a fresh heart this evening and to not come into the account thinking, well, I, I've heard this one before. I know how this ends. God, the reason why we come to church, a reason, just one among many we come to church, is to be reminded of truth over and over again because we are so easily forgetful hearers. And God can take one account in Bible history and teach us a hundred lessons. And uh, he meets you right where you're at every time. And so I want to encourage you to consider this uh, with a fresh heart and mind uh, this evening. So I want us to understand this thought tonight, that every believer, every Christian has a point A and a point B. Often uh, when maybe a young person is looking for a new car to buy or a car that would be new to them, they might use this phrase, I just want something that is going to transport me from point A to point B. Right? Maybe you've used that phrase before, or we're thankful that our current vehicle does get us from point A to point B, um, and you can tell that to the Furtados and whatnot as we're talking about him driving his moped to church next week, uh, but we can talk about that later. But point A tonight is going to represent where I am spiritually, and point B it, Will represent where God wants me to arrive at spiritually, how God wants me to mature. But to get from point A to B, we must journey with the presence of God through what I'm going to call tonight a transition. The word transition is a process that takes something from one place to another. So I want you to think about the thought of spiritual transitions. A spiritual transition is the process of God's spiritual preparation or spiritual maturation in me. His maturing process in me as his child. And maturity is a process. We don't wake up one morning and and socially speaking, we are mature. Nor do we wake up in the morning and spiritually we have some things together in our life before the Lord. And so I I want to, uh, the word transition might not be as familiar, but perhaps the words trials, valleys, and tribulations, hardships are more familiar terms with you. And I'm talking about the same thing tonight. Spiritual transitions take place by way of trials, valleys, tribulations, difficulties, temptations, etc. As disciples, Jesus is constantly developing our faith in Him. He's constantly developing our faith in Him so we can be used more effectively by Him. He's constantly developing us To be used more by him. And so tonight we're gonna notice that God's people, that the disciples of Jesus Christ, they didn't go what they called a trial or a valley or tribulation, but they literally were going through what they called a storm. A weather, a weatherly storm. So I want us to first notice. The disciples of Jesus, the disciples point A, and this isn't our text tonight, but notice verses 15 and 17, it's going to really uh, uh, set the groundwork for our actual passage to follow these verses. But I want you to notice where they are spiritually and that which Jesus is going to try to deal with in their lives. Notice with me verse uh, 15, let's go ahead and stand, let's go ahead and do that for the reading of God's word. And then we'll sit after these three verses, but for the record, we'll stand uh, for the reading of a portion of Scripture. Again, not our passage, but it'll introduce it to us. Notice verse 15. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying... This is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. Jesus was was uh, uh, was was teaching a a multitude of of three or four thousand people, and time had passed, and the sun is setting. And the disciples turn to Jesus and say, Let's have all these people make their way out of here. Let them go feed themselves, provide for themselves. Verse 16, but Jesus said unto them, uh, they need not depart. Give ye them to eat. And notice where the disciples are at spiritually by their response. Your response says everything about where you are at in your heart. And they say unto him, we have here but five loaves and two fishes lord i ask that you would bless this message tonight have your hand upon me and have your hand upon this church for these few moments and teach us your will and your way through this passage in jesus name amen thank you for standing you you can be seated we notice in these verses that not only were the disciples lacking a mind to serve they weren't ready to serve they weren't willing to serve but they exercised no faith in jesus When he told them to do something that was not in their power to do, he knew they were unable, but he's trying to toss them a bone, if you will, and give them an opportunity to experience his power. And we look at this and we might think tonight that these are the men Jesus plans to have carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. These guys who said they were commanded by Jesus to do something and they said it's not possible. But we understand that for the task of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, they were not yet ready for that. So it seems like they might need to go through a trip across the Sea of Galilee. I want to ask you, how are you responding? in the transition from where you are right now in your walk with the Lord or maybe where you have been for a while. How are you responding in the valleys, and the storms, in the trials, and in the transitions to where the Lord is taking you spiritually? Are you growing or are you groaning? Are you growing or are you groaning? You're a young person tonight, maybe transitioning from childhood to adulthood. You're a single adult wondering what God's specific point is for your life. You're a parent whose goal is to provide for and raise children to the glory of God. You're a married couple trying to safely navigate your marriage through a storm. You're an adult, and the majority of your life's years are behind you. But you believe God has more in store, but you're not quite sure what that's going to look like at this point. No matter the season of your Christian life, the Lord Jesus has a point B for your life, and it is always greater than the eyes can see. It is always spiritual. So notice our text tonight, beginning in verse 22. Jesus says, feed the multitude. They refuse to trust in him to do it. He has to basically highly encourage them to trust him. Jesus does perform a miracle, but he wants them to get past Response of, we can't and it's not going to happen. Notice verse twenty-two. After all this, it says in straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side, while he sent the multitude away. That was their geographical point B, a point A where they were, and now he puts them on a ship to go to the other side to the geographical point B. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. There was a gusty storm in there that they were in the midst of. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me, invite me, command me to come unto thee on the water. And verse 29, And he, Jesus, the Lord of all said, come. A small word, but a powerful word because it came out of the mouth of divine authority. Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O oh, thou of little faith, wherefore, or why didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Notice verse 33. Then they that were in the ship came and worshiped him, Jesus Christ, their Lord, saying out of their mouths, they said as they worshiped. And this is the climax of the, of the narrative of a truth. Thou art the Son of God. That was their spiritual point B of a truth. You are who you say that you are. Now notice their geographical point B in verse 34, our final verse. And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Gennesaret. And that would be Gennesaret, their next ministry assignment. I want us to notice first of all that Jesus was in control of where the disciples were going. So for the next couple minutes, I want you to observe the sovereignty of Jesus in this entire situation. The circumstances around them during the feeding of the 4,000 made it necessary for them to flee the scene. So you see, Jesus had just performed a miracle. He took a couple pieces of food and he multiplied it enough to feed thousands of people. And the people saw and they knew this. And so the natural desire of the people was, we have got to crown this man king. We have got to make him here and now the, the king of our society. But Jesus knew that it was not time for that to transpire. So he took his men and they, they skedaddled, if you would. So therefore he constrained. He led his men. He told his men to get onto a ship to sail across the Sea of Galilee to Gennesaret. He had a geographical location where they were going to dock. And it would be there that Jesus had in mind that he was going to use them to minister to more people. That was their, their next ministry assignment, but the Bible doesn't tell us that these men previously expected to sail across the Sea of Galilee. It it wasn't in their plans. It wasn't on their agenda. Perhaps throughout the day, they could see the the storm clouds rolling in and took several hours for for them to actually let loose and for the rain to fall and the, the storm to reach their location. But instead, they were just doing what they knew to do next. Get on a ship and go across the sea. You understand tonight, believer, that the Christian life, the Christian life is full, chuck full of transitions where you are somewhere spiritually and then the Lord brings you through something. And at the end of it, you are um, spiritually more spiritually mature than you were there. But the Lord is not done with you yet. He then takes you from this spiritual location and he takes you through something else and you arrive at another spiritual uh, um, achievement, if you will. And then the Lord takes you from there and on and on and on the, the process goes. This is called him taking you from immature faith to more increasingly mature faith in what? In who? In who Christ is transitions understand this tonight they yield they offer an opportunity for us to grow spiritually so jesus was in control of where the disciples were going but secondly transitions they're an opportunity for your faith to grow deeper in who christ is not deeper in your tradition not deeper in who you are not deeper in who your friends are, not deeper in uh, uh, the things that you're familiar with, but deeper in who Christ is. At the same time, it is amazing how dramatic the transitions, or the, the transition experience in the, 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 it is amazing how dramatic the transition experience in the disciples' life came so dramatic. And the the transitions in life become dramatic in your life if you're not living by faith. And I want us to understand that for for us to experience who Christ is, for this to transpire, you have to experience who Christ is for yourself. You see, really, a lot of what the disciples had, they had a lot of theory. They, They knew that God was powerful they saw what Christ had done for other people. They saw Him provide. They saw Him uh, heal. They saw Him teach. They saw Him love. But if they were going to be what they needed to be in Christ, they needed to personally experience Him for themselves. They needed to go from theory. They needed to go from knowing a Bible story to knowing the God of that Bible story for themselves. They needed to not just teach Christ and preach Christ and teach the Old Testament and preach the Old Testament, they needed to experience the very God of their stories for themselves. Or else, so much of their ministry would have no power and no effect. Or at least, not as much power or effectiveness it could have if they just let God be God in their lives. You see, in this storm, the disciples they were put into a place where they were going to be able to experience the power of Christ from themselves. They saw him feed hundreds of thousands of people from nothing, basically nothing. They had a little bit, but he multiplied it. They needed to see him at work in their own personal lives and in their fears with their emotions. But on the storm, but on the Sea of Galilee, things got dramatic because for several moments, a refusal. Live by faith. We know it was the will of God that his disciples would fully trust him. But in our account, they were not doing that. They were focused on the circumstances and on the opposition. But what evidence did these men have to go off of to, to assume that Christ would be faithful? Well, there were all the miracles they saw Christ perform in the recent past. They spent almost every day with this God-man. They had the fact that that Christ put them on the ship. Okay, Christ put us here. He obviously knows we're here. He's not going to abandon us. And then his very words in verse 27, he says, Be not afraid, it is I. You would think that in the midst of the storm that they would recognize this voice that they are so familiar with. But the Bible tells us that they did not all respond by faith except for one individual, Peter. There was one individual on board that night who was beginning to see that Jesus was in fact in their presence. And we, so we know this was Peter, verse 28. It says, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, invite me or bid me to come unto thee on the water. Understand that Peter's desperation for Jesus It was strong enough for him to transfer his dependence from all the things he was familiar with. You understand tonight and be reminded tonight that Peter was a fisherman. He knew the waters. He knew storms. He knew boats. He he wasn't afraid of the sea. He had to transfer his dependence from the ship that evidently these men were more than likely unable to maintain control of, he had to transfer his dependence from his abilities and his experiences to what? To the Word of God. Jesus said to him, come. And so Peter needed to transfer his dependence from his comfort, from his familiarity, from his pride, from his self, and transfer it onto the spoken and the living and the walking, the Word of God. The only unchanging element in this storm was Christ. Peter was trusting Jesus for the same power he had to defy the elements that were overwhelming everyone else. The one word, come, spoken by Jesus, empowered Peter to do something that was impossible with man. Notice verse 29, 29, he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked On the water. There's no ice in the Middle East. If there is, there's no thick enough ice that the fire department would approve of you on, approve of for you to skate on. That he walked on the water, the Word of God says. This was absolutely impossible with man. But we need to understand this tonight that all Peter was doing, he was embracing the presence of Christ in his transition. The only thing special about Peter was his response. Peter was afraid. Peter was crying out in fear. Peter didn't know if they were going to make it to the other side. So all Peter did was he transferred his dependence and he acted on his dependence on the Lord Jesus. So Peter is not to be elevated because of his seemingly daring response. The way he responded is how we can all respond in the transitions of life. The embracing of the presence of Jesus. We learned this morning in Sunday school that Christ is always with us. And it's a matter of us embracing his presence if we are going to come through as he would want us to come through according to his will. Just imagine the scene out on Galilee. This is crazy, people. This is crazy what is transpiring. You have two human beings Walking on water. I mean, you got the, the lightning and the thunder. You've got a ship being tossed by the water. Maybe a torrential downpour. Men yelling and trying to gain control. And then you have Peter and Jesus walking on the water. Oh, they thought maybe we've spent too much time in the sun today, boys. We are seeing crazy visions tonight. But their eyes were not deceiving them. The, I'm confident that the sight of Peter and Jesus walking on the water Got their attention. That's what the Lord wanted. Not for them to admire Peter, but them to see what Christ could do for Peter. But notice what happened soon after. While, while Peter was, was being empowered by the word of God, there was a moment when he did shift his heart's focus on to the, to the storm around him. Maybe he realized, I'm walking on water. This is crazy. I don't don't even know if I'm going to make it completely into the arms of Jesus. And so he got his focus off off of the Lord, and he lost his footing. You see, like Peter and the disciples, we are constantly surrounded, constantly surrounded by opposition, elements in our lives calling for our attention from truth, from the Word of God. There's a lot of opposition surrounding us in our transitions in life, calling for our attention. Just some general opposing forces to list tonight. You've got the world without us. The condition of the White House and the economy. The conflict between political agendas. Supreme Court decisions. Messaging from news outlets and social media. Uh, A humanistic culture provoking you to doubt what you believe. As a born-again child of God, circumstances may be in your home that you can't control. There's something about a spouse. There's something about a, a child. There, there's something uh, structurally wrong with the place in which you live. Calling for our attention, tempting us to get our faith and our trust off of the Lord. And then there's your very own flesh within, in your journey in the Christian life, trying to pull your attention from the truth. It be temptations galore, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, fears, depression, anxiety, confusion, and then personal struggles and battles that might be difficult to articulate to somebody else. We need to understand tonight that the devil is the one orchestrating all the opposition and evil in the atmosphere. For he is the prince of the power of the air. Air. And so we need to understand and be wise tonight that he does this to strengthen our fear. He does this to cause you to lose your confidence in what? In the word of God. But while God Almighty at the same time is using those same circumstances in your life tonight to make you confident to strengthen your faith in what? The word of God. So I wonder, what is your natural response when you find yourself traveling through tribulation? Tribulation sometimes comes out of nowhere. And our emotion is so strong and overwhelming that we know as born-again people with the presence of the Holy Spirit in our in our souls that we should cry out to the Lord. We, we, we should pray. We should call on His name. We should meditate on eternal Bible truth during this time. What is your natural response? Is it more natural for you to respond as Those in our world who are without hope, who give way and let anxiety and paranoia rule and reign in the situation, trusting in their own hands to straighten out their own situation, as the disciples more than likely were doing. Or perhaps you're in a habit of of doubting the Lord is aware of your situation, Placing all that you've seen and and heard about Christ on the shelf as if the fact that he is a deliverer is just some theory. It's just some Bible story. It's just some fairy tale instead. And I believe that that's more common. We know the stories. We know the account. We know the testimonies of other believers in our lives and we think that he is faithful to them, but not necessarily to me. Or can you say that your natural response is like Peter's? where you you recognize the voice of God in the, the fog of the storm and forsake what you can do in your own might and by faith embrace the presence of the Word of God, no matter how challenging the opposition. Know this tonight that the mature believer or the maturing believer, the, the growing believer embraces the truth of Romans 8:28 and we know, that all things work together for good to them that are the called, to them who are the called according to His purpose. It is the maturing believer who knows and understands that this trial is in fact for the glory of Christ. But oh, may we not be deceived that the moment we choose to embrace Jesus' presence, that the storm is going to go away. That we have exited the valley. That the transition is complete. Understand this, that Almighty God wants to use the opposition to drive you deeper and deeper in your dependence on the power of his unchanging word. It's a process. He wants you to learn to rejoice. He wants you to learn to be Christ-like. He wants you to become more and more dead to self. He wants you to become far less self-dependent and more God-dependent And it is in the trials of life that we learn to be less self-dependent and more God-dependent. I want you to know this, that it is easier to believe Philippians 4.4 when you are first convinced of Romans 8.28. What does Philippians 4.4 say? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. We know we're supposed to rejoice. But if we're doubting Romans 8.28, for example it's going to be difficult to find joy in a circumstance you don't prefer. That's what rejoicing is, by the way. I don't prefer this, but Christ is still my exceeding joy. And that's where God is trying to to get you. When we fail to have perfect trust in God's word, this is when in his grace, we learn more about his mercy, his love and his faithfulness. You understand in the Christian life, so many believers try to to dodge hardship. They don't take steps of faith. They don't take steps of growth because they they know it's going to be uncomfortable. And when you refuse to take steps of faith and you would prefer to dodge hardship, you are are, are are not doing yourself a favor because what you're doing is you are going you're causing yourself to miss out on more you could discover about God in the trials and the tribulations of life if you just stay away from them if you don't decide to follow Jesus you see these these trials are necessary let me ask you this when God was working to deliver the nation of Israel from Egypt let me ask you could God have have made the situation easier for his people to get away from the Egyptians? He could have. Could, could God have, have chosen a shorter destination for them? Yes. Could God, after Moses first went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go in God's name, and re- Pharaoh refused, could God have wiped out the entire nation of Egypt right there? He could have. But what good would that have done for God's people? You understand that God brought his people through thick and thin because dying to self is a process? That being uh, purified of our sinful infirmities is a process? Understand that, that God would not have been doing his, he would be doing his people a disservice for him to make things easy for them because they would not have learned more and more about the Lord and more and more about their sinful nature. It is so necessary for us to go through the trials of life because without the trials of life, we will not be rid of our sinful tendencies. God is is at battle with our sinful nature. Listen, deliverance is a process that conquers sin and transforms us into what God wants. What does God want? He wants a convinced confidence in who he is. While so many things are are changing and developing in the atmosphere of your life, God wants you to become confident that Jesus, the word, remains steadfast and true. That was his goal for these men that night. And all of this is changing. And we flip-flop on our faith, but Christ... You remain the same. You do not go back on your word. And so long as we have faith in your word, there will be progress in our lives. There will be victory in our lives over sin. And there will be more power endued upon our lives the more we experience you for ourselves. Jesus' command to Peter didn't change when Peter shifted his focus. Jesus didn't turn around and abandon Peter. Ah, boy, you swim for yourself. I'm going to go this way. No, that's not what Jesus did. For the Bible says in Micah chapter 3, verse 6, For I am the Lord, I change not. We see that Peter put his dependence back on the Word of God when he said, Lord, save me. You see, Peter would know the power of God so long as his heart was focused on Christ. When he was focused on Christ, he was able to stand. And by the grace of God, Peter experienced the faithful steadfastness of Christ in his effort to embrace his presence. Understand tonight, Liberty Baptist Church and guests, it is even in our sinful failures, within the transitions of life, that God allows our faith to grow. You see this, catch this tonight. Almighty God uses the transitions of life to strengthen our confidence in who Christ claims to be. Who is Christ? Who does He claim to be? Christ is sovereign. He's all-powerful. Christ is present. He's always faithful. Christ is unmoved by our opposition. Christ is full of grace and mercy. The Word of Christ is the rock on which we can walk amid stormy waters. We see that it's so easy to teach and say, hey, God is sovereign, God is present, God is faithful, God is unmoved, God is full of grace and mercy, but it is a different thing to have to be put into a position where you have to experience that for yourself and actually try to live out what you teach and what you preach and what you read. And when God puts you in that situation, he's doing it out of love and mercy to grow you and prepare you for what he has in store for you at point B. Understand that some of the greatest theological lessons are learned during and through the storms of the Christian life. These men didn't enroll in Heartland Baptist Bible College. These men didn't enroll in some Southern uh, Southern Baptist theological seminary. They were just following Jesus And this trial, this tribulation, this valley, this season in their lives was some of the greatest preparation for ministry that they could ever have. Because it was in this storm of life that they learned about God and all that He is and wants to be in their lives. You come to discover more about the Lord prior to entering the valley. While you're in the valley, you learn more about the Lord than you did before the valley. And that's exactly what he's after. For you to go from theory. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what the Bible says. Yes, that's that's what we teach to little boys and girls about the Lord. He wants to take you from that and, oh, I've got this on my own. I'll get through this difficulty through this substance over here, through entertainment. Through smoking, through pornography, through, through lust, through anger. I'll get through it this way. He wants to take you from theory. He wants to take you from selfishness and self-dependence to experience and to God-dependence. That's his goal for the, the, the Christian life. And even sometimes we need to learn that Jesus forgives and restores even those who fail. During our personal experience, with Jesus, we absolutely must realize also quickly that other Christians can be affected spiritually by how we choose to respond and the the difficulties that God allows to come into your Christian life. Your decision to embrace the presence of Jesus will be used to bring him glory. The disciples saw and heard how Peter responded to Jesus. They saw Peter drop under the water and they saw Jesus enable him. They saw this. When Peter embraced the word of God and stepped off the ship, the other followers on board were watching. You see, God also has a way to get the attention of Christians who won't embrace his word. Your decision to embrace The word of God allows Christ to manifest his power and glory in the sight of others. Do you know this tonight? That what God is after in your life at all times is to equip you and enable you and use you to reach people. That's what he's after. God's priority is the building of his kingdom. In his kingdom, the, the material of his kingdom is souls in heaven. What he's doing is trying to use you in the life of some grandchild in your life, or some neighbor in your life, or some coworker in your life, so that they can behold your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A real walk with Jesus will bring conviction even to other Christians refusing to fully embrace his presence. You see, the goal is not for others to see you at all. That's what, where God is getting at. The not I, but Christ life. The goal is not for others to see you at all, it is for others to see Christ in you. The, the, the Lord's point B. For both Peter and other believers on board the ship that night was the exact same thing when he led them into this situation, into this transition. Understand this about this account, that Jesus was not just trying to flee a crowd who wanted to crown him king. He wasn't just trying to get his men to the next ministry assignment, the land of Gennesaret. He wasn't trying to get them to the land. No, Jesus was trying to make disciples out of believers. I I think that in the room tonight, the the majority of us are believers. But are you following your Savior? Is your Savior your Lord? Is He the master of your life? He is after discipleship in your life. And a a word that is very synonymous with the the word discipleship is the word process. Process. Listen, discipleship is not just a program you go through for the first eight weeks of your salvation. Discipleship is a lifelong process for the believer. Just because you closed the binder and you got a certificate in church by the pastor because you completed the eight weeks of discipleship does not mean that discipleship is over. When you got baptized as a Christian, that was the beginning of a lifelong journey and process of God taking you and conforming you into the image of his son. And that's what he was after, that they wouldn't be just associated with Jesus. Oh, yeah, we're with the man who, who heals people. Yeah, we've got status. We're Christians. Oh, we're with the man we belong and we're friends with the man. We're in the inner circle with the man that, that people flock to come here and see. That wasn't enough for Christ. He wanted them to humble themselves and be dependent, just as dependent upon him as the, as the lepers, as those who were hungry, as those who had the issue of blood. He wanted them to remain dependent on the Lord Jesus Christ at all times. You see, they would have no power, no effectiveness in Gennesaret, like they should have at that moment if they had not gone through this. It is in verse 33, where when Peter and Jesus come back on board the ship safe and sound, that 12 light bulbs go on when they declare of a truth. You are the Son of God. You are who you say you are. What you just did there is impossible with, with man. What you just did there, we will never forget. Our mind, our brain will never forget. And what Jesus was trying to teach them is you can and you must depend on me at all times for everything in your life. God uses transitions in our lives to strengthen our faith in who Christ is. Why? So that we can be more effective Declaring who Christ is. The Bible says, and when they were gone over, in verse 34, and when they were gone over, they came into the land of Gennesaret. Christ not only had an intended geographical point B for where his disciples would do ministry next, but he had a spiritual point B so their ministry would be effective for Christ. Remember their point A, quote, or this, this, is a, this is just an elaboration. We'd rather send the multitude away to find food than ask you to provide. They went from that very quickly to their spiritual point B, which was because you are God, we can and we will trust you. Because you are God, we can and we will trust you. The spiritual point B is far more significant than the physical point B, than the geographical point B. And honestly, if we're honest tonight, we want the physical point B. We want the geographical point B. We don't want the trial. We, we, we might not want to grow spiritually as much as we want to be comfortable and cozy and convenienced and everything to be hunky-dory. But with that, you will not grow spiritually. And Listen, if you don't grow spiritually, you're not going to be able to reach people the way he wants you to reach people. They went through this so that when they went to Gennesaret, they weren't just like, hey, yeah, Jesus, listen to him. Yeah, yeah, he's got the truth. Now, Everybody quiet, quiet. Everybody in an orderly fashion, go see Jesus as, when your number's called, no, it went from that to he can change lives. He changed our lives. I mean, what we just went through on the, the Sea of Galilee was incredible. He can do miracles. He performed a miracle for us. He walked on water. Our friend, he enabled our friend Peter to walk on water. He is God. He can be trusted. He can defy the elements. You just have faith in him and he will do it. He will transform you uh, into what he wants you to be. It went from theory to experiencing God to effective life Ministry. A deeper and stronger confidence in Christ is always God's point B for your life. That's always His intent. With every valley, with every tribulation, He's trying to deepen your relationship with Him. Because without this concrete relationship, you will not be and you will not be used as God intends for you to be used. You're a young person in here tonight. Are you getting to know Christ more? You're a single adult. Are you getting to know Christ more? Focusing on what God has not given you can become an opposition that'll destroy your life. You're a parent tonight. Are you coming to know Christ more? There are there are little ones, there are young people in your life. Maybe you're a grandparent, you're an aunt, you're an uncle, but there are, are younger people in your life back in the ship carefully observing whether the Jesus of this book is the Lord of your life or not. God has a plan for their life and he wants to use your life to help shape in their life. Husbands and wives, your relationship with Jesus needs to be stronger than your marriage if your marriage is going to endure any significant challenge. The success of any godly marriage, the success of any godly home, The success of any godly relationship begins with a relationship with Jesus. God has a plan for your relationships. I want you to think quickly of the New York City skyline or other skylines that are like it. Each skyline boasting itself with magnificent, magnificent skyscrapers. And each skyscraper is carefully designed to stand for 500 to 1,000 years and be used effectively for their intended purpose. Millions of people work and live in these skyscrapers, assuming, just trusting that these will stand under both calm and aggressive weather conditions. But this is to be emphasized. Absolutely none of these buildings can be as tall and as effective as they are without the process of having a deep foundation dug into the earth below for them to rest in. For example, the Empire State Building stands at 1,400 feet tall, but its foundation is 55 feet deep. If you desire to be used as God intended, you must allow him to deepen and strengthen your relationship with the Lord Jesus. And this happens most often when our faith is transitioning from point A to point B. You say, I, don't, I, I, I have not quite seen much significant growth in my life in five years just as an example of a number of years. I haven't seen much victory. It's not God's fault. It's your fault. It's my fault. When we stiff arm the ingredients that the word of God gives us. When we stiff arm the Bible principle of accountability, when we stiff arm the Bible principle of, of wisdom, when we stiff arm very clear commands in the Bible, when we would rather just follow some Christian tradition than actually experience the risen Savior in our lives, we'd rather go through the motions of Christianity and maintain the facade. When we choose that over what the Bible actually says in the Lord of our salvation, victory is going to be hard to come by. But it doesn't have to be. God saved you for a relationship with Him. And it is in that relationship where victory in your life, strongholds, addictions, ways of thinking are overcome when you walk with Him and you obey what you learn of Him. Understand that God's goal for every born-again Christian, listen, is Christ-dependence. I'm sorry, God's goal for every born-again Christian is Christ-likeness. And how was Christ? He was God-dependent, constantly dependent on the Father. And Christ's likeness can only occur by the process of discipleship, by letting him be the Lord of your life. And so as we follow Jesus, he leads us. He sometimes constrains us to get onto a ship, and he leads us into a valley. He leads us into a storm. But we have to understand that it is those very trials that are a result sometimes of following Jesus that make us God-dependent. And you say, preacher, why do I need to be God-dependent? So we can reach people with the gospel with great power and effectiveness. You cannot reach people if you're not God-dependent. And it is the trials of life where you say, God, I give up. I can't do this. And God says, boom, that's exactly what I want. Let's go to victory. And now let's use you to reach people in your life for the kingdom of God. Because you can't do it without me. And if you're living the Christian life, I can do it. I can do it. I've got my own way. I can get through this with my own wisdom. God says, fine, you'll sit right there while there are people over here I could be using you to reach. But if you're not dependent on me in the trials of life, you're not going to be dependent on me with the gospel. And that's exactly where he was going with with these men. It was all about the kingdom. It was all about the gospel. And that's what he wants in your life. I, don't, I just don't reach people. I just, I, I just can't point to fruit in my life. Maybe a couple things of fruit, which is significant in eternity, but there, there's more that God has in store. Examine your relationship with the Lord. How is it? How are you doing? How are you responding? In the trials of life, these trials are designed to prepare you to reach people. Jesus was the greatest at reaching people and he wants to reach people through you but you have to die to yourself. You have to give up on the self life in order to live the Christ life which was God dependence. Listen, Christ, the son of God yet the son of man yet the son of God, he was completely dependent on the Father. And the Father used him, obviously, powerfully. And he wants to do the same with your life. These trials are designed to prepare you to reach people. That's the point being in your life. Victory to reach people. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the pulpit of Liberty Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, or if there's any way we can serve you, Please let us know by contacting us at info at mylibertybaptist.org or you can visit us this Sunday at 800 Washington Street in Easton, Massachusetts. May the Lord bless you as you grow in His Word.